This podcast is offered by Black Mountain Zen on the web at blackmountainzen.org. Our public offerings are made possible by the kind donations from people like you. Good morning. A couple of days ago I was doing a recording for a radio show and as they often do in radio shows they say oh watch your favorite piece of music or something like that and uh, first thing that popped into my head was um, Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows um, I don't know if you know that, do you know that song? Mm-hmm. No? Well, uh, the theme of it is, uh, oh, we all know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. But the, the twist that, or maybe the perspective that Leonard Cohen gives it is that the whole thing's corrupt, you know. And then I, later I thought, that wasn't exactly a spiritually uplifting. <laughs> what was I thinking? Because in my mind, I was actually thinking, everybody knows what it is to live a, what you might call a virtuous life. You know, it's, it's something basic. Of course, you can argue over the finer points of it all, you know, or create hypothetical dilemmas, but fundamentally, we know. That's what was going on in my head, but uh, so. But maybe it'll be wonderful. You know, people will be thinking, oh, everything moves in a straight line, and then they listen to that, the lyrics, uh, quite fierce and skeptical and cynical. <laughs> there is. Uh, There, there are, within Buddhist psychology, there's, um, there's one formula, it's three kinds of consciousness. And uh, one kind of consciousness is uh, called citta. And that, that refers to what we would normally think of mind. You know, mind, it, it processes what's going on and makes ideas about it, it discerns between this and that. Uh, it makes conclusions, uh, so you have that. And then the second mind is Hridaya. And Hridaya, uh, most straightforward translation is heart. Uh, it's kind of emotional equation of our lives, you know, where we're, how we are responding in an emotive way to what's being experienced. And sometimes it aligns with what we think, our rational cognitive mind, and sometimes it's in a wonderful contrast. And then the third kind of mind, uh, which I find very uh, intriguing is 
vridda. And, and vridda is the way consciousness is shaped by experience. But interestingly, not so much the experience of my ideas or my conclusions or my judgments, but when we experience uh, life in a more direct way. You know, those moments where we connect more deeply, uh, those moments when some insight bubbles up. I often think like the insight bubbles up when the chatter of chitta, when, when the mind that's uh, filled with ideas, opinions, and judgments, when that mind quiets down and something more direct bubbles up. And who hasn't got the capacity to do that? Who hasn't got the capacity to kind of meet the moment just as it is and let it speak? You know, Dogen Zenji, the founder of uh, Soto Zen in Japan, this style of Zen, he said, when you're describing the world and you're defining it in your terms, that's a kind of delusion. When the world expresses as allowed to express itself and define itself that's awakening um. and how do we learn to live in that way how do we learn that uh, there's more to what's going on there's more to learning how to be a human being, how to be in relationship with existence and other people, um, and just having opinions and judgments. And then even more subtly, there's more to it than just having the range of emotions. You know, this makes me happy, this makes me sad, I get annoyed by this, I get encouraged by that. Oh. And, and a dominant theme in Zen thinking, if there is such a thing, and maybe Zen being, is uh, that We do have the way we put the world together. You know, the chitta has its function. You know, like that's how you uh, drive your car on the road without hitting other cars. Okay, I'm going at this speed. You're going at that speed. I'm turning this way. You're, you know, there's the functionality of life that where chitta engages. Um, and then there is a more subtle way of being um, that we're always engaged in, you know, just sitting zazen together. You know, we're, we're opening up and sensing a form of being that goes beyond just our opinions and ideas. 
it's kind of interbeing. If you think of those moments of quiet when you came into awareness, sometimes in meditation and sometimes just by coincidence, there's a sense of interbeing. There, there's a sense of presence that informs, but it doesn't inform because you have a whole bunch of ideas about it. It informs because, I would say, something is deeply felt. This is Vridha. And I feel like in this poem, William Stafford takes a shot at describing this kind of learning. He calls the poem, Learning Anytime. Strange how things in the world go together even when you don't try. How music permeates metal, how a burden you carry takes on a color or leads to a dream you're going to have when the burden is gone. Learning, they call it. This anticipated lightning, this thinking around an event and bringing it right. It's hard to tell if the connection's yours or the world's. It all comes together and just say, I know. But the biggest things and the smallest key things keep right on. What's the difference if you understand? The heavy will keep on being heavy and the things that will get you will get you just the same. Like that kind of intuitive interbeing that informs what we are. And in Zen practice, in particular Zen meditation, is can we dip down, taste that, connect to it, and let it inform us, let it inform us in a way that even that our cognitive mind is not so aware of. No. You think of those moments where your world is taken apart. Uh, sadly, often through difficult circumstances that you'd rather not have. But something deeply informative happens. And then how do we relate that to everyday mind? You know? Or as William Stafford says, eh, life keeps on going. And you'll probably still be, the things that get to you will probably still get to you. So in the world of Zen, that's called uh, the world of form or the world of particular. And then that interbeing is called uh, the world of shunyata. And Zen practices finding the harmony between the two. And how to do that. Oh. One way you could say is like, how do you address what's right in front of you 
in a practical, straightforward way. And at the same time, how do you see and stay appreciative of the big picture? You know? Everybody knows we're all going to die. Everybody knows we're a lot happier when we're being kind and considerate of each other. Everybody knows that material things don't really make you happy. No. They don't even provide you the security that you wish you had. Because life's impermanent and our bodies are impermanent. Yeah. But we so easily lose that big picture. You know? We so easily uh, get disturbed when someone doesn't agree with our opinion. We so easily solidify our attitude around strong emotions that we have. Even though in a way we know, well, my emotional life is shaped by all sorts of things that happened. Uh, and sometimes my emotions are quite appropriate, and sometimes they're just there the residue of previous experiences. Yeah. So this interplay between um, acting out our current version of reality and then the bigger picture. Yeah. And in, in Zen practice, it's the interplay and harmonizing it. There's a kind of a learning there that goes on. So we have this deep learning of Riddha, and that's its own um, kind of thoughtless information and in integrating it into our everyday world. And then in the world of Zen, this is called koan. You know? How do you get to know what everybody knows, including you? So when I was in the monastery, uh, first three months of the year, I was thinking about this. It's the sort of thing you do when you're in a monastery. There's not much else to do, you know? <laughs> you know? There's no movies to go see. <laughs> There's no, you know? There's trees to look at. There is that. Uh, and insects and birds. Uh, but one thing you learn in a monastery is... Uh, you learn to let go. 
let go of uh, the urgency or the impulse to try to manage reality in a way that you would like it to be. You know? The way you, uh, you know, each of us is acting out our preferences. And sometimes our fears too. Um, and as long as we're doing that, we're continually uh, reifying the world according to me, which is usually that more surface experience. You know, we reify it and then we live within it. You know? And I think sometimes that's part of our distress. We sort of know this is not the whole picture the way I'm acting as if it was. No. Letting this thing annoy me this deeply is really not that sensible or helpful to anyone, especially me. In a way, we could say one of the core uh, challenges of meditation is letting go. Okay? That thought that's rattling through your head, that dramatic story, let it go. Just come back to the body, back to the breath, back to hearing the sounds. Um, And it's a constant challenge for us, because we're constantly uh, re-engaging in that way. There's a song that was popular, I'm not sure if it was the 60s or the 70s, but the, the theme, the line was, uh, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is Someone told me recently it was by Donovan. Do you know that song? Yeah. 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 Some of us are old enough to know that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's an old Zen expression, uh, which is, first there's the world according to me, and it's real and it's solid, and then you let it go. First there is the mountain, real and solid, then you let it go, then there is no mountain, you know. And then you, uh, then you integrate this uh, deeper vridda consciousness with the everyday consciousness. And then in Buddhist thought, then there is and there isn't. First there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. But the third there is, is the kind of there is and there isn't. There is my version of reality and it's my version. It's not reality. And if the uh, 
if the vridda, if the deeper sense of interbeing, and, and as I say, it can bubble up into ordinary mind. Uh, we all know we're going to die. We don't act like it, but we know it. Uh, and we all know everybody else is going to die. One of the things I enjoy about Irish funerals is that usually the person who has died, we bump them up a couple of notches. Oh, he was a great guy. You know, he was a little bit grumpy at times, but he was a great guy. <laughs> he was a little bit fond of his drink, but he had a heart of gold, you know. <laughs> I think it's a very generous trait we have in our culture. Uh, it's kind of a, there's a kind of irony how the most dreadful thing that can happen to us and to the people we know and love uh, also offers us a way to tap down into something profound and connecting. How do we let go, tap down into something profound, and then how do we integrate that with our everyday mind? And in Buddhist teaching, um, Samadhi, the process of contacting and experiencing what's going on. On a consistent basis. Hmm? Okay, here's all the stuff going on in my head, but what's, uh, what about the floor? What about seeing the floor? What about hearing the signs coming up from the restaurant downstairs? What about feeling the breath entering and exiting the body? What about noticing that the thoughts that are arising come and go? And they come and sometimes they have a strong emotional content and they have a heaviness and an authority and sometimes they're whimsical, barely noticed. And sometimes I notice my judgment of others or my opinion of others is this way or that way. And then when I'm in a different mood, it's some other way. Yeah. All that information about impermanence, about how the mind is conditioned and dependent upon circumstances and other things. Yeah. And so continuously making contact with that is called samadhi. Continuous contact. And what we're contacting is, 
we're contacting the interplay between um, the deep knowing that's beyond words and ideas and the everyday mind that's figuring out what to do and creating uh, definitions of reality. And then I thought about Leonard Cohen's song, which has daunting lyrics like, everybody knows the war is over, everybody knows the bad guys won. The way in which our human consciousness seems to uh, look to the lacking, you know, look to what's missing, look to what didn't work, rather than looking to uh, what you might call the virtue, you know. Like if you have a toothache, you don't think about the other 30 teeth that feel just fine. All your attention goes to the one that hurts. You know. And why wouldn't you? The other ones are just doing fine. There's no problem. Um. But there's a way in which if we work, or if, if we attend to the continuous contact, we go beyond that bias, you know. We, 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 it's not that we don't notice when it's raining, but we also notice when the sun is shining. It's not that we don't notice that people can be selfish, but we also notice when they can be selfless, you know. And we also notice even in ourselves, even though we are in, inclined towards uh, you know, letting our fear move us towards self-concern, uh, we're also inclined towards uh, generosity. We c most of the time we care enough about others to be drawn into kindness. It's just the way we're made. Not to say we can't get stuck in our fear and aversion and be harmful, as Leonard Cohen emphasizes in his song. Uh, but I would say there's a whole other song he should have written along with it. Uh, that praises our selflessness.
in San Francisco, there, there is an organization called uh, St. Anthony's Diner, and um, it serves food to the homeless. And, um, and it runs on donations and volunteer effort. And they make, uh, they serve 3,000 lunches a day. You know, so you can imagine what it takes to serve 3,000 lunches a day. And all the foods donated and all the uh, organization that makes it happen, cooking the food, serving the food, uh, is all volunteers. And St. Anthony's uh, runs on donations, but to practice what they preach, they give away 10% of the money that's donated to. And, uh, and I teach a course. In, we do a, it's a chaplaincy course, and we do a field trip to St. Anthony's, you know? And we just spend the day serving up the food. Hmm. It's very interesting. I, I would say, without fear, you go in there and just, there's a, 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 a tidal wave of humanity, you know, coming through. 3,000 people coming through the door, sitting down, eating. 